0: Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message.
1: James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word This man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Our Father, we pray that you will bless the words that we speak tonight, that there might be fruit born, because your word takes root. Speak to every heart and soul that is present, as we might have need. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. To set the stage for tonight's message, I want to ask you to respond to me for a little bit, and tell me uh, what church you grew up in, or what church you have been a member of, I don't care whether it's uh, uh, Olive Branch or uh, whatever other uh, individual name, but denomination, how many of you have been a member of or grew up, let's say, in the Free Will Baptist Church? You have been a member or grew up in the Free Will? Only one? How many of you have been a member of uh, the Church of Christ, or grew up in the Church of Christ? Nobody? What? You went there for a while. How many of you were Methodist in your background? One, two. Okay. Uh, Any Presbyterians? Pentecostal? Catholic? United Brethren? Episcopal? Any that I haven't mentioned that's here, besides Baptist? Besides Baptist? (laughs) Mormon? Any Mormons? Any Jews? Any Hindus? Everybody else is Baptist. Right? no Jehovah's Witness Jehovah's Witness? Anybody, anybody grow up in or been a member of a denomination that I didn't mention? Okay. Well, now you see there's some of you that tainted us. Because we're not all pure Baptists here tonight. We're all Baptists now, presumably. But you see, we came from all kinds of different backgrounds. Now, I I want you to know I'm a pure Baptist. I never did belong to another denomination. I went to some others, particularly Methodist. Never did belong to anything else but an American Baptist church. Not even a free will, not an independent, not a general association of regular Baptists, not a Southern Baptist, nothing. Pure American Baptist the whole way. How many of you can say that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, that's not very many of us. So you see, we're impure. <laughs> Notice all this impurity? Somebody said one time to a, a fellow, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? He said, I would be ashamed. <laughs> well, I don't think I'd go that far. I simply wanted to to start off this way to get you thinking that when it comes right down to the bottom line, we come from all kinds of different backgrounds, and it really makes little and perhaps no difference as to what our denominational affiliations have been or are. The thing that really makes a difference is whether or not we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In a restaurant that I eat very frequently, I, of course, have gotten to know the people who work there, and we carry on quite an interesting conversation at times, and this one waitress, knowing that I'm a preacher, will make reference to somebody who is in there, and she'll say, he's religious, or he's really religious. I don't know why she tells me that. I don't need to know of that. And uh, I, one of these days, I'm going to ask her, what makes him so? And I'm sure the answer that I'm going to get will run something like this. Well, he always goes to church. Or he always carries his Bible. Or... He prays in public, or they'll min- she'll mention some of those things, and in her mind, that makes him religious. Now, the question that I might come back and ask her, if I'm brave enough on the day that it happens, I'm going to ask her, how pure is his religion? And of course, she's not going to know the answer to that one. And she's going to stutter a little bit and fumble around and say, well, gee whiz, how do you expect me to know? And I don't expect her to know. I asked some time back, if you may recall, on a Sunday morning, I went around and called out to people by name and asked them, are you saved? And you were, do any of you remember when I did that? And God, of course, I selected uh, several people that I knew would say yes. And God's very affirmative answers. And if I were to ask you tonight if you're saved, most people in this congregation would say very strongly, Indeed, I am. If I would ask you, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd get the same affirmative answer. Indeed, I am. I do. But I want to ask you a, a, this evening a question that might be somewhat disturbing or make a statement that might be somewhat disturbing. And I want to say to you, then prove it. First, prove it. Now, given an average congregation, I probably would get answers back if people would be honest, well, I can't prove it. Or somebody might say, I don't have to prove it. And that's true. And I can begin to sense in those responses a bristling almost as if the hairs on their head were beginning to stand up and their face was getting flushed and they were getting a bit angry at me and almost really want to say to me, how dare you challenge my faith? How dare you question the purity of my religion? And I probably have no right to do that But the world does it all the time. Unsaved people look at you and at me, and they want out of us an answer that says, We see in you what pure religion really is. And they come back off times and point to this person or that person, and they don't see this pure religion. They don't see the evidence of their salvation. They can't tell that that person has faith because their actions, their life, does not reflect what they think a Christian ought to be. And I believe the Scripture tells us that there needs to be practical evidence of our faith our faith can be and should be seen as a matter of fact if we don't have it it is obviously seen as being right. Jesus said by their fruits ye shall know them and he referred to that big tree that should have had figs on it, and he went to it and found none. He used that and other times the similar things to point out to his disciples that in his followers he expects evidence of what we claim. James here in the second chapter, if you still have your Bibles over, you can find it easily there over in verse 14, asks a very pointed question. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? And because of this question that James raises, there are people who have misunderstood and think that one's salvation is based upon his works. Now the scripture does not teach that. The scripture teaches emphatically that one is saved through faith and not of works lest any man should boast. But James is making a point that if we have faith that saves us, there will be some evidence in what we do. That's what he's talking about. No faith cannot save that cannot produce evidence. If we are hard pressed to produce some evidence of our faith, then there is plenty of reason for the world and for the church and for society in general and even ourselves to begin to question if we in fact do have it. Because a faith in Jesus Christ will follow with works that are evidence of our faith. And that's what he says in verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Faith alone, he's saying, doesn't get it. There's got to be some evidence by what we do. Matthew 7.21, Jesus' words, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. It isn't what we say, it's what we do. That's the bottom line. You know, if you can imagine the scene in heaven at the day of judgment, they're going to let's imagine that it happens this way, and I have doubt that it will, but for my illustration, picture in your mind that we're all standing in heaven, except there are two groups. There's a group over here on the left, and there's a group over here on the right. The group on the right look obviously like they're getting into heaven. The group on the left appeared doubtful. And here's a guy over in the group on the left and he calls St. Peter over and said, Hey, I'm in the wrong group. I belong over there. There's the preacher. There's a choir director. Well, there's my Sunday school teacher. Well, I even sang in the choir with a whole bunch of those people. I'm in the wrong group. Hey, put me over here. And Peter's going to have to say, I'm sorry, you're going to sign the right group. but you see, I believe, I have faith, I went to church. And uh, the Lord's going to have to step in and say to uh, this person, where's your evidence? Give me your proof. My, what a surprise. You know, the devil is leading people hell and he's saying to them look you don't have to do anything just say you believe so go and be baptized and join the church you just don't do anything I mean you don't have to do all that stuff and then on the day of judgment The devil is going to stand like Gomer Pyle and say, surprise, surprise, surprise. (coughs) And it's too late. The devil has deceived one out of heaven into hell by saying, your religion doesn't have to be pure. Just pretend. Just have that superficial stuff. That's all you need. Pure religion originates with God. Pure religion comes from a source that is pure. If our religion does not originate with God, then what is the source of our religion? The origin of our actions. will determine where our commitment is. If God is the author of our speech, our speech will reflect his authorship. If the devil is the author of our speech, out of our mouth will come those things that reflect what we might expect the devil to to say. If our actions come from God, then we would expect that they will be actions acceptable and honorable to God. But if our actions come from the devil, then we would expect our actions to reflect the source of our religion. And is it from God or is it from the devil? Pure religion also requires that we be teachable. now listen to this Calvin and I sat in the office a little while this evening and talked about actually about this very issue with someone that he's concerned about who can't be taught who will not listen to reason and others I've dealt with the same way who are not about to listen to what the scripture has to say. For they already have all the answers. And you're never going to change their mind. And that's unfortunate. We've got to keep trying. And those are others of you who have talked to me about similar people. We've got to keep trying to bring them around that they will listen to what God has to say. Pure religion is a religion that will allow us to be taught. We've gone through this in our church. There are some subjects that I know, when I preach them here, there are people in the congregation that already turn off their ears, just as if they had a hearing aid on and turned it off. For me to preach eternal security to some people in this church is a waste of time. They have already made up their mind that you cannot be assured of your salvation until you get there and find out. And I'm never going to convince them otherwise, no matter how much scripture is quoted, they will never change their mind. In my mind, the way I believe that James is talking, the religion of those people is impure because they won't listen to what the scripture has to say. Now it makes no difference what I might say. It does make a difference if it's contrary to God's word. It does make a difference. There's a hymn that I'm going to have the choir learn one of these days. It's in a hymn book that I have. I don't know if it's in ours. I didn't look it up. But I want you to listen to the chorus of it. It's called, Fill My Cup, Lord. And it says this on the chorus. I'll not read the verse. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. Now, every Christian ought to have that attitude toward learning We ought to come with an open mind and an open heart and say God fill my mind and fill my heart But if we close off our mind and shut our heart then the bombardment of all of the scripture and of all of the prayers and all of the teaching is going to fall on deaf ears and will not be accepted And that makes that religion impure because it is being mixed up with things that are not correct according to God's Word. Therefore, it's impure. All right, number three. Pure religion comes from those people who make an earnest effort to control the tongue. He says in verse 26, here in chapter 1 that we read, If any man among you seem to be religious, appears religious, and does what? Ridleth not his tongue, but deceives whose heart his own heart. This man's religion is Vain impure not fully from God but lacks something and over in the third chapter of James he talks about the fact that the tongue is incapable of being controlled and bridled and we have all kinds of problems with it but he makes a very clear point that a pure religion will be in the life of a person who maintains control over his speech. One who is slow to speak, who thinks first, who puts his, as they say, some people put their tongue and gear uh, in operation before, before their, their mind. How's that go? I've forgotten the exact words of it. Fourthly, pure religion is a religion that has a constant effort to remove evil from one's life. Now, verse 27 says that. There are two things that verse 27 says. I'm going to deal with the second one first and the first one second. Pure religion, undefiled religion, before God, before thy heavenly Father, is this, to do two things. One is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. I'm going to deal with that in a moment. The other one is to keep himself unspotted from the word. There is pure religion. Pure religion is in the life of the person who makes every effort to keep himself unspotted. Let me ask you, do you have any spots? In the newspaper just the last few days, there was a story of, um, at the Ohio State Fair, of one of the baby beefs that was in the competition there by uh, 4-H and and, uh, FFA uh, members for the state's competition that uh, had spots that had been painted over and they discovered that this animal had already competed in one of the fairs out in the Midwest and had been purchased there and brought to the Ohio State Fair for the purpose of course of winning and gaining quite a price tag of several thousand dollars for that one beef. And in order to deceive the judges that it was not one who had ever been through a show before, they painted over the spots that the animal had, except the paint came off. And they discovered the deceitfulness. The rule of the game is you must have owned and had control of that baby beef since January 1 of this year to compete in that fair. And they had gone out in the Midwest and brought it in, and, and because its, its picture had been in the paper and would have shown in its obvious spots, they had attempted to cover up the spots so that they wouldn't be seen and it would get through the show. They didn't realize that whatever they painted on there wouldn't stay on, and it came off. I think this is a good illustration for us to realize that if we are spotted by the world, no amount of painting over our spots will do. They will eventually show, and we will be revealed for being deceitful and dishonest and having impure religion. Because we attempted to cover up instead of attempting to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. If we have spots, and all of us have them, we have little spots and we have big spots. But because we do have our spots, we should not paint over them but that we should wash ourselves in the blood of Jesus Christ so that we are cleansed and made whole and pure. And then we can present ourselves before God and the world as one who is attempting to be pure in our religion. And Then lastly, he says pure religion, undefiled religion, before God and the Father is to do something, to visit fathers and the fatherless. And the widows and those in affliction. It's again coming back to the point of do, not what we say but what we do. If we want to be people of pure religion then it will be seen in the practice of our lives in what we do. We should not simply be engaged in ritual And oftentimes we do nothing more than come to church and go home and this is all the religion we have. It is not being a member or attending church. These are good things to do, but it is centered upon that which we do for and to and um, for the benefit of somebody else. And Jesus said inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren you've done it to me. That's pure religion. To do for Jesus is pure religion. So we go back to the basic question. How pure is our religion? Let me close with this point. Paul was wrestling with the issue in his life as to where he ought to go as a missionary. He had been prohibited in going into Asia, where he wanted to go. And he was praying earnestly. And finally, in a dream during the night, Paul saw a man from Macedonia standing on the shores of Macedonia and reaching out and praying to Paul or begging Paul, come over and help us. And Paul understood then that the Lord was taking him from where he was to, to Macedonia to help those people. Pure religion comes from hearts who hear the distress call, see the need, and then go help them. Just like Paul. Not just sit in church tomorrow morning, the next day, and the day after, to go where the need is. When we've done that, we have satisfied the requirements of pure religion. Let us pray.